good to see you guys. I hope you guys are doing well. Um, this is probably a little bit hot, Mike, back here. It's a little bit hot for me. Uh, it's great to see you guys. If this is your first time at Fathom, welcome. We really pray this is a great experience for you, not only just, uh, just a church experience, but we pray it's a real relationship with Jesus that begins or continues and grows, and we pray that you grow in faith and, and family here, and we mean that sincerely. We think the two are interconnected. Like, It's really hard to be growing in a relationship with Jesus if you're disconnected to the body of Christ, and so thankful that you're here and you're connected to, to what God's doing here. For the past like two months, we've been on this journey called uh, Summer Road Trip, and we've been making these stops at different places that Jesus did like really incredible things. And today, I mean, we've gone from really when Abraham was given the first covenant in Genesis 12 and like his call to leave everything familiar to go to this uncharted land. And we've been to the New Testament and we found Paul and Silas in prison and God did incredible things in that place. And today we're going to end on a text in Matthew chapter 21, and we'll be going a lot of different places. You can always follow along with the notes on the version on the Bible app. Uh, you may be familiar with that. There's a live event on there that you can follow the notes there. Uh, but today we're going to be going to a, a, one of the craziest texts, I feel like, in all of the New Testament. So that's fun. Who wants to end on a crazy note? Uh, but I think it's going to be a very meaningful note for us uh, today as well. Um, back in October, it was uh, both, we have a lot of like October and November birthdays. Maybe your family kind of falls like that, like everybody ends up having the same birthday, like right in the same area. Our family's like that. Three of the four of our immediate family are in October within like 10 or 12 days, and my mom and her dad and grandmas, and everybody's like in October for whatever reason. So anyway, I, uh, on uh, Taryn's birthday, usually we're not gifts people. We're, neither of us get really excited about gifts, and we don't give many gifts. We just aren't that, like, couple that makes all these big specs. We just, we just don't. It's not a big need for either one of us, and so we don't. But this particular birthday, I was like, I'm going to go. I'm swinging for the fences. And so I saved all this money secretly and um, decided to, to really surprise her. She thought she was getting a mixer for her birthday, and I took her to Europe. So, uh, like, she, I mean, I really, like, blew her mind on this one. She was like, are you serious? And so... Uh, we ended up going over there earlier this year and had just an amazing time, just really just a, a life, lifelong goal and, and dream, and so we were able to do that. And one of the reasons I took her over there is because she worked in a flower shop when she was in high school. I knew she loved flowers, and they have these flower gardens that are just beautiful. There's all these tulips, just acres and acres, hundreds of acres of, of land covered with tulips, and I wanted her to see this at springtime. So I took her, took her over there, and we were in Amsterdam and outside of Amsterdam, and uh, so they sell lots of, like, uh, tulips and seeds and different things. I mean, you can, cannabis is, is legal there, so you can buy what they call fantaseed. Fantasy, and, like, you can bring your, your plant um, home. We, of course, passed on the grass, but we did buy, um, buy, buy some, we bought some tulip bulbs, and we, we brought those home. We smuggled those in, and we, bought, brought, we smuggled in some, some lemon tree seeds and some, like, in an orange tree or something. So we get those home, and we, have the, we go to the hardware store and get these planter boxes and fill it with dirt. Really, Taryn and Beckett are really excited about it. So they're going to get these tulips. We're going to bring it home, and it's going to be awesome after we smuggle it in. And so we get it going, and uh, like two weeks later, they get the first little sprout for the tulips. And everybody's so excited. Then like a couple days later, there's two more sprouts. And we've never done tulips before, so we don't even know what's like, what's a sprout really. But we thought we had three good sprouts going and from there, you can probably guess how it goes. Like nothing. Like, they, like what sprouts we had disappeared, and then we had tons of stuff growing, but none of it looked like anything what it's supposed to be. So we, ha so we have these great like planter boxes and these, this cute little you know, setup, 
and lots of weeds in them. So not that kind of weed, but like just regular weeds. Sorry, I got to make sure I clarify. Make sure you want to know. I passed on it. So, um, but it's covered in all these weeds. And the text we're going to come to today is, um, is really interesting. It's been one that has intrigued me in the scriptures for literally years. And really because it blew my mind. Um, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21. Just to set you up, in Matthew chapter 21, this kind of begins in, in the gospel of Matthew. It begins what's known as the passion narrative of the suffering of Jesus. So uh, it begins right here. So Jesus enters Jerusalem for the last time, and this time he comes in on a donkey, which is not how they thought their triumphant victorious leader would come in, but he rides in on a donkey, and he goes in, and this is where he makes the weapon, you know, and he goes in and turns the tables over. Did you guys know that? Jesus made a weapon and went in and turned the tables over in the temple. So he does that, and he goes back outside of Jerusalem for the night, goes to a little town called Bethany, and as he's coming back in, this is where we pick up. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith, and do not doubt. Not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you'll receive whatever you ask in prayer. This one always troubled me, particularly because if you look at the gospel of Mark, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what are known as the synoptic gospels that all uh, dictate a, a, a chronological order of, the, uh, of their stories that happened in the time that's recorded in Jesus' life. It all happened chronologically. They all record this story, but in Mark, what he says about this is that the fig tree didn't have any figs on it because it wasn't the season for figs. So this messes with my brain, because I'm like, Jesus, what in the world? Are you just hangry in the morning, like you're just cursing the fig tree? Because this is not like Jesus' miracles. In fact, this one is the only negative miracle Jesus ever does. All Jesus' miracles are amazing, like water into wine, sweet, like uh, walking on water, calming the storm, blind eyes being, uh, can see, like people being raised from the dead, lame people walking, all these good, good, good miracles. This is the only one that has a negative context in which Jesus does a miracle. And it's super strange to me because there's a little tiny tree hugger inside of me that's like, Jesus, what did the tree do to you? Like it was just, just mind its own business. What are you saying here? Because Mark said it wasn't even the season for figs. Jesus, what did you expect from the fig tree? Did you expect to find figs when it wasn't in season? So Jesus is speaking a lot here, and I want to lean into it with us today. I want to talk to you about faith and talk to you about fruit. And and so we're going to be passing through several texts today. We won't stay here the whole time. But on this idea of faith, I've struggled for, with this text for the longest time, and I wanted clarity, and so I began to lean more and more in and do more and more research. And what I found, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense the more I, I begin to understand this. What happens when things are out of season? Like, you know, the lemon tree. I don't expect, expect my, my tree to have, you know, lemons when it's not season, but what also do I expect? What happens in the fall and in the winter? It, it loses its leaves. Like, it doesn't have anything. Like, it's out of season. And so, I, in this situation, I can imagine, like, Jesus saw lots of trees. He saw lots of plants. 
Some of them that were completely barren, no leaves, no figs. Some with a few leaves left and a few figs maybe left. But why did this one get singled out? And this is where it begins to make perfect sense, is because it had the appearance of something. Had the appearance of fruitfulness. Had the appearance uh, of something that could be sustenant. But it lacked the substance. But it lacked the fruit. Had the appearance. And what Jesus is saying is like, look, you've got to have sincere faith. This whole text, I believe, is about real faith with his disciples right now. He's like, I want you to have the real thing. I'm going in, and like we're on the path in the next week, or in this, during this week where I'm going to be crucified, you're going to be left. You need to make sure you have the real thing. And I'm going to do a physical example that stands out from all the miracles you've ever seen to say that it is not okay to have the appearance of something good but lack the real fruit. Jesus is, is leaning in and saying, dudes, we got to get serious about our faith because he wants us to produce much fruit. Uh, I can say it like this, that a fraudulent faith will bear no fruit or, or, or a religious relationship is not going to bear fruit. And I think if we look across the Christian world, um, and particularly in America, there's a lot of really leafy, leafy, is that a word? Leafy. A lot of really leafy churches that lack fruit. And God's desire for us, as we're going to look into a text here in John 15 in a few moments, or towards the end, that it is God's desire that we bear much fruit. But that happens through sincere, honest relationship. Not by church attendance, not by religious action, but by a sincere faith and a sincere relationship, and this one stands out among all of them, and he's pointing us to a sincere faith. That's what it takes to bear fruit. So let's continue on, and let's begin to look at what what true fruit is, because I think we'll come back to the faith thing. Let's begin to look at what fruit is. I think there's really two layers. I'm still really hot on this mic, man. It's kind of getting on my nerves. so let's look at two layers of what fruit is. First, what is fruit? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. And this is something that all of us should be bearing. All of us should be bearing the fruits of the Spirit. In this text in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, if you look into the whole text, Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia, and he's paralleling two lives. He's paralleling the life in the flesh, and he's paralleling the life in the in the spirit. And so he's paralleling these two things and, and saying to us, like, I want you to look at the difference of when you walk in the flesh and you live in the flesh, and I want you to look at what is produced out of life in the spirit. And he gives this really large juxtaposition. When you walk in life in the flesh, just doing as we desire and what we think is right and not in the grace and truth of, of the Father, like when we, we walk in, in the flesh, what we're going to get is we're going to get things like greed and gossip and all kinds of debauchery and immorality and lustful desires and all kinds of like these things that ruin our lives and eat up our souls, like flow out of the life in the flesh. But in life in the spirit, you know what comes out of it is, let's read it, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Like what comes out of this relationship and communion with God is love, joy, peace, patience, or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, and if we look into the past generation or two, 
Some of you might have grown up this way, or you're at least familiar. In fact, the stigma of most of the church is being super law-heavy, right? There's all these rules that you had to kind of live up to, and if you couldn't live up to these rules, if you couldn't practice everything perfectly, then like, you know, there'd be some ramifications for that. And there is, but in the way that that happens is completely different. And it's when we dwell with the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit that these things begin to flow from our life. And this is the fruit that comes from that sincere relationship. And it's not pushing the fruit inward, but it's allowing it to flow from the inward. Or or not pushing it from the outward, but allowing it to flow from the inward. And I think the question we have to ask us in this, as we're walking with the Lord, what am I becoming? Are these things evident in my life? If you walk in, into my office and at my desk in the, here in the church, you'll see right in front, I've got a note card, and it's been there since for actually years before I even lived here. I, I've had it in front of my desk. And it's all nine of these listed right in front of me. Because I don't know about for you, but that's a super convicting list. And it's like a little bit of a gut check and looking in the mirror, like, is, is this happening in your life? And like, I think nobody is like perfectly operating all these things any of the time. But they're just a way for me to look and say, are these happening in my life? And it's not to say, oh, well, you better get it together, Kyle. It's like, no, you better lean into a sincere faith because this is what should be flowing out of life in the Spirit. If these aren't flowing, then, then we need to talk about our relationship. And so how we're always going to operate as a church, if we find ourselves caught up in the flesh and falling into these sins, we're not going to sit here and be like, hey, here's the law, man. Get it together. We're going to begin to talk. Like, What's your relationship with the Lord like? Are, are you walking in the spirit? Are you like genuinely walking in the spirit, desiring his will above yours? And I think when we begin to do that, we, we're asking, who, who am I becoming? Are these things beginning to flow in my life? And these things are for all of us. All of us. All of us as believers. If you call in the name of Jesus and you call yourself a son and daughter of God, then these things should be flowing from our life. But, and, and some of us, we desire these things. We desire these things. And what it takes for these things to begin to happen. We're going to look in John 15 here in a moment about that. So I think that's the first layer of the answering the question, okay, so I need to have this sincere faith. What's the fruit that's actually going to begin to flow from this, or that should be flowing? And if you're anything like me, that list is convicting. That's why I keep it right there in front of me. I think the second layer we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and some of my favorite chapters in the scriptures are 2 Corinthians chapter 3 through chapter 5, because they're powerful. Because uh, chapter 3, Paul is talking uh, about, it's where we get this, this scripture of, we now have this great treasure in jars of clay. It, it, Paul is, is beginning to express to the Corinthian church that God has given us something so precious in order to live it. This, this treasure in our life, the grace, the relationship, the love of God. And, and he wants that to be shared with everyone. In, in chapter 5, we get to this, uh, what's known as the ministry of reconciliation. Let's look at this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us. He gave us this treasure in jars of clay. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation means to be brought back together. Sin has put a divide and Jesus has made a way for that divide to be closed. And we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That that might begin to flow out. Those good fruit, that good fruit might become flowing because God doesn't just put those in place, but he's the very definition of all those things. The scriptures say that God is love. We don't know patience like he knows patience. And when we're in relationship with him, he teaches us that. We learn to walk in his spirit and we live not by our own strength, but by his. So I think the second layer of that fruit is this ministry of reconciliation that in our hearts there might be a desire when Jesus in Matthew 28 after he goes to the cross and he's resurrected he's sitting with the disciples and he lays it out Matthew 28 19 and 20 therefore go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and remember this I'm with you till the end like I'm with you like you are not in this alone remember the relationship don't just go out doing good things and forget that this is a relationship, I'm with you. So I think we've got to grab a hold of this, this great commission, this co-mission with Jesus that we are in. So it's not just the good things that are happening but in the relationship, but I think it's also just being a part of the great commission and, and giving and serving and being a part of what God's doing in the world. Our mission statement here is just Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's easily summed up with, go make disciples. Go make disciples, that we aren't just here to become disciples, but we are to go out and make disciples, to become disciple makers. And in order to do that, we've got to really lean into our relationship and have a sincere faith, because that's what's being put on the disciples in this fig tree scenario is, hey, I'm about to send you forward with this mission to do it, but you've got to have the real deal. And if you're like me and you look around our world, we need the real deal, we, we, can't, we can't survive on religion. We can't survive on the appearance of fruitfulness, but when people get to the tree, man, I thought you were different. I, I got to know you, man, I thought you were different. I thought you were a Christian. I mean, so, some of you have heard that, and you're like, I thought you were a Christian. Why are you cussing me out? Like, you might have had that happen. And people check you on it, because when we get closer, we realize, hey, we're not all put together. And this isn't about being all put together, but it's about being a part of something that's real and growing, and evolving, and real fruit flowing from our life. So go back to that slide, if you will, um, on the Great Commission, and we'll end on that. So the, the first part of Fruit of the Spirit is just asking, who are we becoming? And then I think the second one is asking is, okay, now what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you being a part of the mission of God? Are you being a part of reconciling people um, to God? And pointing, Are you living as an ambassador of Christ? And it's okay if you feel some conviction about that and say, man, I, I don't because I don't think my stuff's all together and like I'm busy and this and that. But God wants us uh, to, to put his kingdom first and to lean into the relationship that he has called us to and the great fruit that will flow from that. So that's what fruit is. It, it, it's not only the fruit that's flowing from our inner place, but it's also what we're doing in the outer place. Is it faith or is it works? It's both and we walk in both and learn to, to live in both of those. I want to now go to John chapter 15 and give some wisdom on fruit. That I, I think this just kind of parallels so well with the Matthew chapter 21 text um, because Jesus, again, is talking about fruit here. Where in the other one, the, there's, a, there's a layer of the fruit idea, but it's so much about faith that Jesus points to here. He's really talking about fruit. <clears throat> I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. First, I, I just want to tell us this, this morning that, that fruit doesn't always come looking like what we think it will look like. It's probably the first thing I, I think that verse, uh, verse 3 says to us. If you'll go to the notes, the points on there of fruit um, will not always look like what we think it will. In fact, some of our fruitful seasons are pruning seasons. You can't get to the fruitful season without having pruning season. I I talk to different church planners and friends and mentors on a regular basis, sometimes every month or or so. And um, when I talk to them, they're like, hey, how are things going at the church? How are things going in your life? And they're like asking genuine questions. And I feel like Every time I talk to all of them, I'm saying, God is pruning us. God is pruning me. God is pruning me. God is pruning me. And so if that just tells you, like, uh, I think on one layer it tells you, like, hey, I'm imperfect and I'm growing. I think on another layer it, it, it tells you something, that God, God prunes the ones. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so the ones that are bearing fruit, he doesn't just cut it off, but he, he's pruning it. And so sometimes when we're praying the prayer of, of, God, I want fruit in my life, know what that takes to get there. And that the pruning seasons of our life take a, a dramatic and drastic amount of trust in the promises of God. That when God said he's going to finish what he starts in you, we believe him. And we believe that when God says, hey, I'm going to use you, we b- believe him. It's, it's a matter of trusting in him in these pruning season where it hurts and where we're going through difficult things and our heart's a mess and we're stressed and we're fighting through life and God's just pruning and it's trusting in him in these seasons. I think that's what this first thing kind of sets that like the, the season, it's not always going to look like what you think it will. Sometimes the, the apple tree that you plant, the apples turn out green and you thought they were going to be red. Sometimes you've got five grapes on, on the twig and not 20. Sometimes you have 100 and you thought you were going to have 12. It's not, a, it's not about that, but sometimes it just doesn't always look like what we think it will look like. So I think that's the first aspect. Let's lean into verse 4. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So we see almost the exact same thing right there. Ask whatever you want be given to you as we see in the previous text in Matthew chapter 21 where he's talking about prayer and faith. Ask whatever you want if you're in a sincere relationship, if you're remaining in me. And I think the second thing that we've got to grab a hold of about faith here is that it's about being with God. Fruit comes from being with God, not doing for God. Comes from being with God, not doing for God. It's not because you get super religious and because you show up at every event. And because you do all these religious things and you start doing good, 
like true, sincere fruit for the kingdom of God and fruits of the Spirit does not flow out of doing for God. It comes from being with God. He's saying, remain in me. I love the song we we, we sang a a couple there this morning where it just said, you've kept me in my my wandering. You've drawn me back in my wandering. You've created a clean heart in me, though I wander. Fruit comes from being with God, not doing for God. And we've got to become passionate about being with God if we're ever going to have the fruit. And the problem is, is that most of the time we want all of those things. We want all those things. So we begin to kind of become super active in doing things. And we miss kind of the teaching that happens with Mary and Martha. Some of you will remember this story, but they're sitting with, or Mary's sitting with Jesus and Martha's super busy, super busy, like cleaning and doing everything. She looks like super Christian. She looks like super Christian running around and, and she is getting annoyed with Mary and she's like, get up and help. Get up and help. I'm about to slap you. And She's getting frustrated, and Jesus corrects Martha. It's like, she has chosen what's most important. Like, there is a time for that, and that's important, and the dishes gotta get done. But I'm in your presence now, and you gotta choose what's most important. Jesus said, Mary has chosen what's most important. And in our life, this week, as we go into this holiday weekend next weekend, we gotta get in a pattern of choosing what is most important. And that is always, always communion with God. And I think as we grow and we learn and our relationship gets closer and closer, we learn to commune while working. And, and we're not just kind of, in fact, actually we had a, something called a leadership advance for our staff team uh, a month or two ago. And we were taking a quick break. And, and I, I said, hey, look, during this time, I want you to take five minutes and let's just pray about what God wants to do today. I want, to, I want to just pray what God wants to do today in our life. And so I just go walking. That's kind of my prayer thing is I just go walking and pacing and stuff. Um, anybody else a pacer? Like, you get on the phone and, like, pace around? Anybody else? Okay, so I'm the crazy one. Um, no, I just pace all the place. So I was doing that in this prayer time that we kind of broke out. And I just started walking, and immediately God just drew me to the weeds in our flower beds. He just drew me to these weeds, and I just went through, and I just picked up just a ton of weeds and I brought them back to the table and just dropped them on there. And they're like, dude, what are you doing? Why did you just leave them right here, like bring them back to the table? And it was in this, this time of like just walking and doing, God was just speaking life into this. So it's not just a matter of like doing or being. I think as we learn to commune, we do both, and God speaks into that. So, so oh, I'm, I'm working, I can't commune. No, you can. Like we've just got to turn our attention, our focus to him. And life is busy, and we have to do that. But the problem begins to happen when we desire the fruit more than we desire faithfulness, the fruit will go bad. If we desire um, patience more than being faithful where we're at, like we'll be like, oh, I want to be patient, I want to be patient, I'm trying to be patient, and like we just miss the whole point. We start missing love, we start missing joy, and like the whole fruit ends up going bad because we're so focused, I want fruit, I want fruit, I want fruit, I got to make fruit happen, I got to make fruit happen and we ruin what we got going. In fact, I think we might have done that with our plants. I think we put too much miracle grow in there. That's just my thought. I think it was a little too much miracle. I think we were trying a little bit too hard. Sometimes we do that, and we miss. We go back to living the law, and, and, and we just become this bushy tree with no fruit. And God wants fruit in our life. It's his desire. Let's read verse 8, and, and let's head, head down the, the close here. This is to my Father's glory one that we remain in a relationship with him. 
but that we bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, that this fruit would be on our life. It's not so you can be super Christian. It's not so you can feel better about yourself. It's not that you can have better relationships. All those things are super, and all those things will happen, but the reason that, that, we, that God wants us to bear much fruit is for the Father's glory. The fruit is about the glory of God that he is worthy of in our life. It's not just so we can become super good Christian and all our relationships start working better because we're more loving and we feel better. Like all that's gonna happen, okay? So if you want it to happen, like it will happen. Maybe not in the time. It may not look like what we think it will, but it'll happen. But what God truly wants is for us to be we're like just giving him everything that he's worthy of, that we bear much fruit, that he could receive glory, that people could be reconciled to him, that we would carry the burden of the, com- the great commission, that we would begin to care about people meeting Jesus. And one of the most honest times I feel like in my life, and I've shared this, sorry, that was weird. I shared this on a regular basis, but I was in school studying to do ministry. That wasn't why I went to school to do ministry, but God ended up changing my, my direction while I was there. When I'm in this class called personal evangelism, which is like go out and like learn to live for Jesus and like share the gospel with people. It's a cool class, really great professor and everything. And I had to be really honest with myself in that time. And I just prayed a really honest prayer and it was, God, I don't even care. I'm just going to be honest. I don't even care. And if you've called me to this, then you've got to make me care. You've got to teach me to care. You've got to teach me to have passion for the Great Commission. You've got to teach me to serve and sacrifice because, frankly, at this point, I don't care. And some of you today, like, is just a great time to look in the mirror and Say, God, I want a sincere thing. Out of all of your miracles, I don't want the one to be reflection of my life that you cursed and withered because it just had the appearance of it and nothing sincere, nothing good fruit ever came from it. I don't want that to be my life. So I had to pray a really honest prayer, and maybe that's where you're at today. It's about his kingdom, not ours. It's for the Father's glory that we would bear much fruit. All the other things are going to happen, but it's about remaining in him. It's about being with him, not doing for him. There, there's a passage earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 4, um, that used to be one of my favorite verses because I grew up you know, around worship music, and there was this cool verse that said, there's a time coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I thought that was like, man, that's a great worship leader text, and I was all about it. And the more I began to read this text, the more I was just drawn to this Samaritan woman who was a mixed breed that people called her many names because she had been married like, you know, like a half dozen times. And Jesus comes to her, this rabbi, in the middle of the heat when everybody else is avoiding that time. Jesus meets her right where she's at. And he ministers to this woman. And he loves her right where she's at. And he tells her just to go, like leave Leave the past in the past. The old's gone. The new has come. He tells her that. And what's become my favorite part of the story is what happens next. 
And this woman runs back to her town and shares the gospel of Jesus. Like that's now become like my, the coolest part. She goes back and just tells the whole town like how good God is and how good the Christ is and she's met the Messiah. And we come up, the disciples end up coming back in John 4 and they come back and Jesus again hasn't eaten. What's up with Jesus not eating? He's hungry again. They're assuming and we find this in John chapter 4. Did I give you that, John chapter 4? Thank you. Uh, My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, his kingdom, not mine. Jesus says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. It's not four months more than the harvest. Jesus is saying, look now. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus is pounding his, to his disciples, open your eyes. Open your eyes. And my prayer this morning is that we in this place would look in the mirror and begin to look into the community and we would, God would open our eyes. We might see things differently. The same people that we've seen all the time, we might see them differently. The same person we've been living with or our spouse or our friends that we've you know, had resentment towards, we might be looking at them, but we will look at them differently. And I wonder what would just happen in my life if I would just... Just let the Lord open my eyes to operate in the fruits of the Spirit, to have the kingdom in mind and saying, God, use me as your ambassador in this moment to reconcile people to you. I care less about my kingdom and more about yours. I care less about my money and more about the kingdom. I care less about my time and more about building up the kingdom. And I love this text. I sent you out to reap what you have not worked for. Like, that's a powerful text. Like, that's grace over and over again. I believe that God's going to use us in this coming months of the year to fulfill places in our heart where we're desperate for peace in areas of our life. We've lost what it means to have joy. Like, we are so frustrated all, all, all the time. Constantly we're frustrated. We have zero patience for anyone, and we're just ready to fly off the handle. God wants to breathe life, but it happens when we learn to remain in him dwell in him. It's to his delight and his joy that we bear much fruit, fruit of the spirit and fruit in the kingdom of God. And God is drawing us into that relationship. And today, if you want to walk in that, that relationship, if you want to have fruit flowing in your life, I just want to invite you to come here and we're going to pray together as a church. And so if you'll just stand and come, and I mean that just come now, I don't, I don't count. It's, it's not one of those things. I just want you to come and I want us to pray together. And I want us to pray together that God would do something in, in our lives. He would do something in the life of our church that we, we might be full in him. And let's just come and open our hearts to the Lord and say, God, open my eyes. Help me to look in that mirror, God, and you open things up to a whole different perspective.